Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ethics Experts. I'm your host, Giovanni Gallo. This podcast is brought to you by Compliance Line, the leader in ethics and compliance software and solutions for over 25 years. I am honored and excited today to introduce you to Stephen Morris, and we're going to be talking about his book, The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. I'm real excited to get into it with you. Stephen, welcome to the show, man. Giovanni, thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on, and I'm so looking forward to the conversation here. Uh, anything you want to tell us about your background or what you do, or maybe just you know what what inspired you to take on the load that it is writing a book and you know get these <laughs> these ideas out into the world? Yeah, I guess it probably helps. Uh, context first is you know sort of who am I? What do I do in the world? I you know for the last 25 uh, almost 30 years I've been uh, a consultant advisor evolving brands businesses and culture. So what I do is I work with business leaders uh, to help identify the heart and soul of who they are, uh, well how they do what they do, why they do what they do, and then tether that to their business strategy. And then I once I identify those things, so we call that branding often, but so often it's culture work. We right. infuse it within the leadership teams on every level within the organization. And then within the culture, and then ultimately begin to tell the outside world. So I've been doing this for you know many many years, and have worked with companies that are as big as Amazon and Google and Samsung, and as small as you know your mom and pop startups and you know nonprofit organizations and things like that. So awesome. uh, yeah, it's a thrill to do it, and honestly, you know. A lot of the work that I do in the world, it has to do with uh, the humanity side of what we do. And so part of the beautiful business was written to help inspire business leaders of every level within the organization to think differently about how they approach the world of business. And that could be, again, business of any size, type or, or uh, industry. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I love how you talk about that kind of starting at the core uh, and then moving out. I think a lot of people, if they think about branding, they think, well, what's the font you're putting on the logo or what's the packaging that goes to the outside world? But, you know, from from reading your stuff, Stephen, you know, I can tell that you that that kind of, you know, what can be a facade or at least, you know, kind of that outward veneer that, you know, is really polished really needs to start with the heart. And I think a lot of us in ethics and compliance have that same feeling, right? We, you know, you know, we might say there's a policy or there's, you know, a value or something like that. We want that to be authentic. We want that to actually impact and, you know, positively make changes in the lives of the people that we serve. Um, and we want that to start with an authentic core. So I love how, how, how you start there and it should it, the the, you know, uh, kind of in your realm, the brand should be something that is expressed, not kind of manufactured on that frontline level. Yeah, I would go further and I would say that the brand, any brand, uh, especially an authentic brand, is lived into being. So, uh -huh. you know, we forget often that at the end of the day, all business is created for and by other human beings. So yep. ultimately, it's a human endeavor, an act of imagination, an act of storytelling. And when we are authentic about who we are, we have this strong sense of integrity. So integrity is one of the core principles behind the beautiful business, which is that which I believe I show up in regular and consistent action and through my behaviors. And this is both me, the individual, regardless of business leader at any level of the organization, but also the team. And so yeah. trust is the social currency that all businesses deal in. So, you know, all money aside, you know, if, if an organization is not building trust, 
then it, they're going to have a really hard time, both in, from a cultural standpoint and in the marketplace. And That's so when great. we think about where does trust come from, trust comes from integrity. So if yep. I, it's, you know, we call say do ratio, like if I, Giovanni, if I make a promise to you and if I live up to that promise, well, the likelihood when I make another promise to you next I'm, is going to be very high that you're going to expect me to live up to that. And right. it's, well, it sounds simple. It's actually quite complicated as we know in the world of business. Oh, sure, because there are so many different interaction points and things like that. Um, so I want to get to what seems like, you know, maybe kind of a thesis or a headline for the book. You have this great quote. There's nothing more powerful than a united group of souls ignited in a common cause with love at the core. So I think we're starting to hear it a little bit more, but that's not how everyone has always talked about business and commerce and capitalism and things like that. So talk to me about why that is such an important part of the beautiful business. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about it, there's three key pivot ideas within that particular uh, phrase or, or mantra that I live by. And it's part of the book. It's also part of the work that I do. So I'll take the, the, the weirdest outlier first, which is the end of that sentence, which is love at the core. What do we mean by that? By love, I'm not talking about eros, obviously. You know, the Greeks <laughs> have like, you know, eight, eight different definitions of love. Really what I'm leaning into is uh, the version of love that we call philia. Philia, if we think about the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's founded on this mantra and this mindset that we're all connected together and we all have this shared humanity and we're all in this together. And my love for sense of community, my love for the cooperative work that we're doing at hand, I think is essential for an organization. So love is one of the first things that I talk about in cool. that particular context and that framework. And then we talk about the united group of souls ignited in a common cause. So mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do around branding is around purpose. And when I talk about cause, I'm talking about purpose. Now there's lots of different phrases for this and depending on what your business is and your definitions, you know, some organizations could call it a cause. If you're a nonprofit, you probably have a cause. If you're a for-profit, you probably have a purpose or a mission or both. So right. how do we rally around the big why, the, the, the why are we in business beyond simply making money? And then how do we, to the third part, unite as a team and bond together in a cooperative, a consistent behavior system that brings that cause, that purpose into being? And mm -hmm. that's what that really, that the work is all about. And again, you know, going back to the work that I do is it's centered around building tethered cultures and brands that live authentically from the heart and soul of their organization. So that, that phrase is my mantra. And, you know, when I state it to an organization, I've never heard an organization who doesn't want that on some level. Oh, this cool. United group of souls ignited in a common cause with love at the core. Some of the best performing organizations have that, have, have that going for them and have that going for them big and, and very consistent manners. Yeah, I love that you you know that that point about this this love that you're talking about is not a bunch of soft stuff that you exchange for performance. It's not a bunch of stuff that hey, if you know if you have seventy percent profit margins and you got a bunch of money to throw around, well then maybe we can start investing in some initiatives that would foster some love. It is the path toward uniting and aligning a bunch of the souls, as you put it, toward this common cause. And when you have that alignment, and when things are running smoothly and people trust each other and the right things are getting done, well, the performance actually improves. You're not trading, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, hugs instead of sales. Uh, these, these things all work together, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I would actually say there's mounting data right now for organizations who are studying this kind of thing 
that if you want profit, you actually have to come at it indirectly. And this mm -hmm. idea that you're bonded together from a from a collaborative group within your culture and the cause that your that particular culture is igniting itself in, it is that work that actually is going to create create greater and more consistent and long term profit. So mm -hmm. you know the data is out there that that lives to support all of this. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. There's mounting evidence and. You know, I, I tend to, to think that it's driven by a few different things. Some of it's always been there. Some of it is, uh, you know, the standards that people have that they don't want to be kind of, uh, you know, in, a, in an organization where the whip is cracked over them and no one cares about what actually matters to them. Some of it is, you know, probably due to the, you know, uh, ongoing maybe disillusion of the uh, kind of industrial manufacturing economy where we need knowledge work and collaboration and innovation and things like that. So it's being driven by a bunch of different things, but obviously the core of this has always been there where we're people and we have a heart and we have things that we care about. And when we're motivated and engaged, right? This big thing about employee engagement and all of that, when that happens, then the company performs better. And you know, if it's a worthy cause, then we're gonna get that cause done and that should be good for all of us. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's also worth saying that people wanna contribute to something that's larger than themselves. So mm. when you think about the, the sort of the fusion between a, an individual purpose and an organization purpose. The reason people show up and give their best is because they feel like they're actually living a life worth living and contributing mm. to something that's larger than them that they probably can't achieve on their own. And when they do that and they show up in the workplace, they're fired up about that contribution. And yeah. so, you know, and then now imagine you multiply that by, you know, a hundred, a 1, thousand or 10,000 people that are amongst your team. And all of a sudden you have this incredibly powerful entity. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, we feel, we feel that and strive for that here at Compliance Line. We want our people to understand the impact that we have. There are over 7 million employees around the world who live a better life at work because we build good software and provide good service and, you know, help them raise their issues so that the compliance team can take care of them. And we make that impact through the compliance leaders and the ethics experts who we serve. And our team gets fired up about that because, you know, we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves and it's making a positive impact. And we see that in, you know, the way that clients get served, the way that a job gets done, even the way that software gets developed and, you know, that engineering that you might think is cold, but actually someone who's fired up about it is going to do a good job at even something, you know, relatively quantitative or something like that. So I'd Giovanni, love to get, um, Giovanni, oh, sure. sorry, one second. You've just yeah. described your beautiful business and you did that beautifully. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, I'm learning from the master here. This I, is love great. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Stephen. Um, so I want to get back to an issue that you brought up earlier um, that is near and dear to, you know, pretty much every ethics expert's heart. And it's the issue of trust. Right. So we talk about building trust in our organization. We want people to trust the compliance function to handle their issues well, to not retaliate against them, to make sure that if you bring up something that's a problem, we're going to treat it with respect. We're going to you know, honor you by making sure that you know, we do something about it. We look into it. We try to fix it. Um, you know, the, the training that we do, whether it's about something, you know, direct like cybersecurity or something more pervasive like discrimination and harassment, it's all trying to build, you know, kind of get the stink and the, you know, um, the rot out of an organization and make sure that we can have those tighter bonds between each other. So you talk about trust in a bunch of different ways and you say that it's really kind of the foundation of, you know, a lot, if not all of the stuff we're talking about. So maybe we can talk a little bit about why trust is so important to this purpose and this beautiful business concept. And maybe, you know, from there, we can talk about how that impacts 
the ethics department, the compliance department, um, who you know may not be setting the full company mission, but we certainly have a say in how things happen within our team and then the people we influence. Yeah, great, great question and a great line of thinking. We could have a deep, deep conversation just around <laughs> the, the value of trust. So like I said, just a reminder, you know, the way I think about trust is it's the social currency that all businesses trade in. And this could be in internally at the culture and externally with uh, any businesses, you know, client relationships, be it a B2B or B2C or nonprofit kind of thing. So then we ask ourselves the question, well, where does trust come from? Trust comes and what does actually trust yield? So when we have the ability to hold each other accountable, to sometimes disagree or to have what we call difficult or crucial conversations, yep. we can only do so when we have trusted environments. And how we go about earning trust, and I talked about this or touched on this briefly earlier, is this action of integrity. So again, say-do ratio, for those that mm -hmm. might not know what that is, is the extent of measurement to which that I say what I'm going to do and I live up to what that, what that that whatever I say I'm going to do. Now, that could be a little thing in that I'm going to be on time for this meeting and I'm going to take notes for this meeting and we're going to be accountable as we come out of this meeting collectively together. Or it could be an organization living up to their own cultural promise or public promise. So the more consistently we human beings do that, the more we're actually putting investments into uh, our trust dividends. Mm -hmm. And when we have trust that actually happens uh, on the larger scale within the organization, all of a sudden we're more creative, we're more collaborative. We actually have the power to disagree with one another and hold each other to higher levels of accountability and productivity goes up when we have trust in place. So I think it's one of the non-negotiables. And, and again, I think the threshold into trust building is this action of integrity. And that, that again, goes back to character and say-do ratios. Yeah. Now, I also believe that an organization should have its own operating system of values. So it's an agreement system or operating system of how the organization works and how we agree to treat one another. And that could be there is going to be a high level of integrity and say do ratio and or there could be you know we're we're going to hold, hold each other accountable for the things that we say that we do um, or any number of things now the beautiful thing about a core value set is that it can be unique to any culture to any organization right yeah that's awesome i mean there there's so much there but that that part about integrity i think of you know that, that, you know, I think of integrated, right? And, you know, what you say and what you do should be integrated, how you want things to happen and how you act on them should be integrated. These, the, you know, there should be consistency and authentic, authenticity around it. And then, you know, that say-do ratio, I think is a, you know, a great kind of shorthand to think about how trust is built because, you know, most if not all the time when that trust is broken, it's, you know, I guess sometimes it might be an implicit expectation that wasn't said, but, you know, the big power is you said, you know, that, that I wouldn't get in trouble for saying something. You said that, you know, my manager was gonna, you know, be, uh, you know, uh, evaluated based on whether they lived these values or, you know, violated these policies or whatever. Okay, do you actually follow through on it? And that can be such a powerful way to build or break trust. I'd love to kind of dig into it a little bit more and talk about how this would and should be relevant, you know, kind of more directly to the um, ethics department. Two things come to mind or jump in um, wherever you want. One is, we can impact our own team, um, and you know we 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 can operate the things that we control in a certain way. The other is 
there's, you know, kind of this looser influence that we have where we're not, you know, we're not solely writing the values list for the whole organization or determining the strategic priorities that are driven by our mission over the next five years, but we have influence on that. How can we use this idea if we say, hey, you know what, Stephen, I love this idea. I want to, I want to have a beautiful business. I don't run the board of directors. I'm not the CEO. How, how can we have an influence on building toward that, Stephen? Really, I have a question for you, and if, if you don't mind, I'm going to turn the yeah, tables here. Yeah, bring it back. <laughs> I'm, cur I'm curious from you on what the connection is in ethics uh, within an organization and compliance issues and how they tether into a core value set and what you believe and what your organization believes is the connection between those two things. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, Stephen. <laughs> no, let's talk about it. This is great. Um, so, you know, I think that like, like so many things, those core values should drive everything in the company, right? They should drive how you build your product, how you market it, um, you know, how, how you do your hiring process and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that drives into the compliance program and say, hey, you know what, we're, you know, a lot of times in compliance and ethics, we talk about, you know, what is legal is usually within the bounds of integrity and what's moral and what's ethical, but it's not everything, right? So you got to go beyond that and how much you go beyond that, how much you do things that you're not forced to do, um, I think a lot of times is driven by your values and you know, sometimes that's going to push in different directions. We're going to be very focused on the environment. We're going to be very focused on treating our people with the way that welcomes diversity or, you know, whatever it might be on, in those nuanced places. So I think it drives that. Um, I think if, you know, this is hard to do, but if you split up ethics and compliance, you know, those compliance things, which are generally more structured and you're running a program and you have a policy and we're going to try to have these specific behaviors, make sure that they're done and we're going to audit them. Um, your values are going to, you know, maybe drive the level to which you enforce that and how much you invest in it and how much, you know, how deep you go into managing these different um, risks, whether they're regulatory or otherwise. And then I think ethics ends up being a bridge in between a lot of that stuff because it's like, yeah. you know, um, you know, certain states have a requirement that you have to do discrimination training. Um, but about a bunch of other companies say, hey, you know what, it's not required, but we want to be a place where people are not discriminated against and we're empowering our employees to make sure they're not doing that intentionally or unintentionally. So I think that ethics ends up, you know, depending on how people define this, pushing past the bounds of what we must comply with based on our own policies or some external forces to, hey, what should we be doing? And, you know, a lot of things in that kind of gray area of, you know, where does compliance end and ethics begin, um, I think end up be, being driven by those values in different ways, sometimes explicitly about a specific topic or just, hey, you know what, this feels right and we're going to find the budget for it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, so that's great. So one of the ways that I think about core values is it's relevant to, to this string of dialogue here is, you know, core values are those things that we live day in and day out and kind of moment to moment. And they're sort of the guidance system that defines how do we not just show up to work and stay within the ethical and compliance boundaries that we have, but how do we treat the people around us? Mm. What is our manner style of communication? Uh, and that could be, you know, a DEI type of an issue and, and, and certainly should include those things. But it could also be a guidance system that says, well, what are the questions that we ask ourselves within this culture that determine mm -hmm. how we do what we do or determine how we make decisions on you know, either small issues or big issues? Mm -hmm. You know, as we think about something like that, you know, we think about, OK, is, you know, one of the questions that uh, I, I fed within uh, core value within one of the cultures that I work with is, is it innovative enough? 
And so mm -hmm. one of their core values is all about innovation. And so a question like that might actually be a challenge system for both the individual, or if you can imagine in a team setting where you know we're talking about an innovative product or we're gonna do a product launch or something of that nature, sure. then the question sits around the center of the room that says something like, is it innovative en enough for us? And that's partially a question of how are, how are we serving ourselves? How are we serving the place that we're doing? And even how potentially are we serving our customers? Yeah. That still then links to this bigger picture item of ethics and compliance, which has to do with you know broader guardrails of how we do business so that we can comply with systems and regulations that are out there. So yeah. you know one of the ways I would dissect it based on this is you know core values are sort of the human to human considerations and questions and decision making. And then the, the compliance side of things has much more to do with the bigger picture and laws and regulations. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, kind of the system around the people that hopefully influences the people in some type of cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Let's go with that. I like that answer. All right. Good. <laughs> so um, something because, else. Well, and, oh, go for it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's relevant because I, as, I, as I think about the folks out there listening, they're probably asking themselves the question, what is the discernment difference and how do these things interact right. uh, or how's what is the what is the through line between compliance, ethics and values? Yeah. And I think I think it's really important to understand the context behind those things. Yeah, it is. And I think um, that kind of system versus people thing is interesting because, you know, any division, right, operations or purchasing or marketing or whatever, um, they're going to have their own systems, right? This is how we buy things and this is how we promote people or whatever. They're going to have some of those systems themselves. And then there's a bunch of, you know, je ne sais quoi, of, hey, you know what, this, these are the type of people who get promoted. If you, if, you know, if you act this way, then you're more likely, more likely to, you know, get what you want and things like that. And compliance and ethics has an interesting opportunity to have that type of like system that influences the people that influence the system cycle that wraps around all of these other things that, you know, we're maybe not determining what this person at this location does at 6 p.m., but we're, we're, we're trying to influence that, you know, from a few steps removed, but also in a very profound way. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, I love that. Very good. Thanks for that, Stephen. Uh, and thanks for saying you love it. <laughs> um, so um, something else that you talk about that's near and dear to our heart uh, ethics experts are always trying to benchmark what they're doing. We're always trying to get feedback. Data is king, right? You, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on. We're maybe a few steps removed from a bunch of these things that we care about, and we're trying to kind of summarize it, see how it's going, see how it's trending, see how much we can get better. Um, and you talk about, you know, what you choose to measure reflects what you value, and they define your priorities, and they define success, um, and that success should be driven by something beyond just the profit margin. I think that's something that, you know, a bunch, a bunch of our listeners and our audience would co-sign and say, yeah, there are a bunch of things we care about that are not just profit. Obviously, we need to make profit. We want to be successful. We want to reinvest in the business and hire more people and all that stuff. But it doesn't stop there. So talk to me a little bit about how, you know, maybe broadly you think about this or, you know, if you can get, get more specific to someone running a compliance program around, you know, we have to do this. Here are our guardrails. How can we bring this concept of making sure that the things that we measure tie back to the kind of broader outcomes we want more than just, you know, making sure that this thing gets done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of businesses uh, historically have fallen into the trap of profit 
first, profit of all costs, profit beyond anything. And I obviously, mm -hmm. to your point, which I completely agree with, profit is non-negotiable for a business. It sure. is the measurement system that says we can st stay in business tomorrow, we can reinvest in ourselves and our people, and yeah. we can actually innovate. You know, all, all profits or all innovation are derived from profits. Yeah. But that isn't why businesses exist. Businesses yes. exist to move the world forward. So yep. when a business thinks about their own system and the way they're affecting the world, the world of their people, the world of their products, the world of their services, whatever that world might contain and continue for them, yeah. then they have a, this opportunity to set out a broad array of outcome metrics on which they can aim towards. Obviously, again, profit ought to be one of them. But you know, I do believe that organizations should have something that has to do with how are we affecting the people? Uh, and the lifestyle, the well-being, the quality of life of the people that are involved as part of the great resignation of the big quit that's happening right now right. is people are leaving unhealthy cultures. So mm -hmm. how can we measure those things? How can we measure employee satisfaction? And then there's other things that would certainly be included within that or for especially for a lot of organizations that they're in manufacturing or, or using you know, natural resources, which is what is our impact on the planet? Yep. To what extent are we treating the resources from a sustainability effort so that we're not playing the short game of business, we're actually playing the long game of business. So in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years from now, the resources that are actually required to run our business are still going to be there and they're treated in a very healthy way. So, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about not just triple, but quadruple or, you know, 6x bottom line type of thinking. And you know, I'm never going to sit here and tell people what they should and shouldn't measure, but I do believe their value system is connected to what they do decide to measure. And I would invite organizations to think about that as holistically as possible, include okay. people, planet, profit, all kinds of elements that have to do with whatever outcomes the business wants to realize in both the short term, but especially the long term and set up okay. a value system and a measurement outcome system that speaks to those things. So I'll give you a quick, for instance, yeah. the, you know, one organization I work with, I won't name their name, but because uh, they're privately held, but they're a beautiful organization. And one of the biggest things they're in the, they're in the real estate industry. They do a lot of development. They're all over the country uh, here in the U S and they're quite large. They're a name that most people would know from a household brand standpoint. Their biggest thing that they measure is employee and community satisfaction. Now, certainly profits are part of what they measure, but mm -hmm. they put the biggest metrics of what they do on the communities that they're building and quality of life in those communities and how they go about measuring those things. Mm -hmm. And they also know that their employees are the ones that create that experience, either, either the designing yeah. of the communities, the building of the communities, or servicing of the people within those communities. They measure their satisfaction, or they actually call it flourishing, the level of flourishing within the organization, so that they know when they take care of those people, when they attract the right people, they're going to serve their community members in a greater way and that both of those numbers are inextricably connected. And so they are adamant about measuring community satisfaction, quality of life, and quality of life for their employees. And they put big dollars into those investments. That's really cool. I appreciate that example. I think it illustrates something powerful that it's not just the metrics that you choose, but it's the ones that you focus on and prioritize and talk about, right? So, you know, I'm sure that this company 
uh, you know, has not forgotten to put a profit margin somewhere on their, you know, report of metrics. I'm sure it's on there and they care about revenue growth and probably, you know, num you know, acres or homes built or, or something like that. But, you know, what, what you put at the tops, you know, ends up a lot of times getting everything else to kind of sort underneath it and say, okay, are we, are we hitting this thing? Okay. What do we need? We need to reinvest more profit or we need to be more profitable or, you know, we need to have a, you know, have a different design team or whatever it is, the metrics that you put at the top. And I think for an ethics team, we can have, you know, put all of our different programs lined up and say, Hey, did we, you know, get enough people to do training and did we get enough reports about this thing? And, did, you know, are we rated well on our risk audit and all of those things? You got to check all of those things, but maybe the broader conversation starts with, Hey, here's the thing that's going to define if we're doing it right. Um, and, you know, that can, that can and should be an expression of your values. And that doesn't mean that, you know, profitability or innovation or, you know, number of new locations or whatever you care about can't be on the list, but that prioritization of those metrics can have a powerful impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the ways that they think about it is that, you know, while profit is certainly always part of the consideration, it's it, like I said earlier, it's the indirect result of these other yes. metrics and other focus items that they put into and just, you know, drilling down into that, they realize that the quality of life as it increase, increases throughout the communities that they're creating, building and serving, as that quality of life increases, the value of the homes and the value of the rental fees goes increased up compared to competition. So right. they have a great public rec reputation for the communities that they serve and people want to live in those communities. Mm -hmm. And so they can charge a premium rent or charge a premium price for those for those communities. So yeah. just think about how is that going to affect profit when you sit at the top of the, the top of the heap and people want to live in your community because of the quality of life, your profits are going to be significantly increased. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it, it circles back and you end up kind of getting more of all the right things when you're doing the right things right. Um, and that's, you know, probably better employees, more satisfied employees, more profit, you know, a bunch of other things that are also results of doing your business well. But here, you know, we like to say that Money is a means to an end. It's not an end in and of itself, right? You can't eat it. You can't, I mean, I guess you could build a bed out of it or something, but you know, it's like on its own, it doesn't provide a lot for you. Uh, it can help you hire good people and build, you know, great software or whatever it is. So we have time for maybe one more question, Stephen, you know, um, feel free to pick your own or, you know, if, uh, if you'd like a prompt, you have this concept about evolving and a business can't out evolve its leaders. And, you know, I think that the ethics and compliance industry and profession is going through a lot of flux where people are realizing, hey, you know what, we actually should take care of our people. And actually, you know what, HR isn't the only one who is doing everything that we need to get the job done for our employees. So we have good retention and all of that stuff. So it's evolving to kind of get more focus, you know, get broader purview, um, get, you know, maybe more eyes and, you know, maybe even scrutiny on it. Um, so we're kind of seeing that call to kind of move forward. And I think we're all kind of asking each other at conferences and on podcasts and stuff like this, you know, how do we do that well? And how do we answer that call? Well, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that, or just give me your own final thoughts. Cause maybe I just said it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. You did a great job of ca capturing that. You know, the way I see, you know, the, the evolution of a business is very much like we were just talking about is a virtuous cycle. Okay. The more that uh, team members can invest in the evolution of not just the, the leaders at the top of the organization, uh, but leaders uh, at every level of the organization. This includes the person leading the project of today, person leading the meeting, person leading a group, division, or entire organization. The more they invest in helping those leaders become better people, because at the end of the day, it, I, I hate to call it common sense because it really isn't all that common. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that 
good people make great leaders. And you can't have a jerk as a boss and that person, in this, at least in this day and age, be a great leader at the same time. So the more individual development leaders do on themselves, the more the team or the organization can invest and help, help support those individual leaders become better people holistically, the more they're going to show up and improve the quality of life at that organization. And the more the individual will be better for it. Everybody yeah. at the end of the day wants to be a relatively decent person or a very good person. They sure. want to contribute to something that's larger to them. They want to make the world a better place. They may not use those words exactly, but I think this evolution of the individual is also connected directly, inextricably connected to the evolution of how the business grows, how the business develops, and even potentially how the business profits from what it does. That's awesome. Well, that's a great, you know, kind of capstone for our discussion today, Stephen. Um, you know, there's a ton more in the book. I encourage, I encourage people to check it out, uh, give it to somebody around the holidays, share it with somebody that you care about in your business or, um, you know, that, that you've come across that you know uh, cares about and, and would share some of these sentiments. The book, once again, is The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to create an unignorable business with love at the core. Uh, it's been great having you, um, author Stephen Morris, to join us today. Thanks for teaching us about a beautiful business. Is there anything else you want to say about how people can find the book, reach out to you, get in touch, or anything like that? Well, first, Giovanni, thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. It's uh, it's necessary. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And it sounds like you're running a, a, an incredibly beautiful organization. So I appreciate you holding the space. People can find me uh, at two different places. Uh, they can go to matterco.co, M-A-T-T-E-R-C-O.co. That's my consulting practice. Or if they want to find out more about the book, it's the-beautiful-business.com. The book just released, so I would love to get it in people's hands. Uh, it's a beautiful book and it's an experience, and I believe it's where capitalism is, is headed. And uh, again, Giovanni, I appreciate you holding the space here and having me on the show. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Stephen. Thanks for sharing some of your genius and your heart and your insights with us and our crowd. Um, we appreciate the work that you're doing, um, not just to help people lead businesses better, but to help businesses be better for the world. I love that concept. You know, we talk here at Compliance Line, our work is here to make the world a better workplace. So many people spend so much of their life at work. And when leaders who care, who have a strong brain and a strong heart and want to apply that toward making people's lives better, we think the whole world becomes a better workplace. And all of the millions and millions of employees who go to work um, at these places each day that, that we call businesses um, can be more united with their, their other souls around a core that matters to them. So I appreciate your contribution to the conversation, Stephen. Thanks for being on The Ethics Experts. And uh, I want to encourage everyone, check out the book, uh, read it, apply it, uh, talk about it with your friends, and let's make more businesses in the world more beautiful. We'll catch you next time.